Hello YouTube, in this video we're going to go back a few thousand years to explore the lifting wisdom that the ancient Greeks have left us. And I'm going to be covering in this video things that are historically accurate, certain things that come from myths, from literature, because it's all very relevant. A lot of what we do today, a lot of the archetypes we still follow, were actually birthed in ancient Greece. And it's interesting because it looks like we're so disconnected from those civilizations, and yet we are very similar in many aspects. And you will find that the true beauty of lifting and bodybuilding in general resides during that time period. And anything that we do trying to get back to what we espouse as an ideal tend to come from there. It was birthed there. So let's go back to that place. Let's go back to the berceau du bodybuilding, what we should aspire to be, and the lessons we can get from them. The very first thing I want to discuss with you guys is the Greek ideal. This is the idea that the male body has certain proportions that if met, create a perfect sight, the perfect representation of what muscularity should resemble. And you might be surprised to know that it's actually very mathematically inclined, meaning that they had exact calculus and they knew exactly the length of every body part, the width of every single joint that you had to obtain to be able to look the part. And interestingly enough, of course, those calculus were objective, not subjective, meaning that you are not expected to be a certain height, you are not expected to be born with a certain thickness of bones. If anything, the, uh, the actual math surrounding the practice was adapted to your body, meaning that if your wrist was a, was a certain size, your upper arm was expected to be a certain size, etc., etc. And this is what they based their statues on. A lot of people ask, and we still regard those statues and marvel in front of them because they truly represent the essence of the male body. It's what most males aspire to look like, muscular, lean with good muscular definition. And if you think about it, it's also the sign that either one of two things was going on. Either the Greeks had an insanely advanced knowledge of biology and anatomy, or they had, they had live models to base their, their statues off. Because if you're going to create a back, and the back is going to be perfectly resembling a human back with the muscles exactly at the right spot, with the right insertions, etc. This means that you had at some point a bag that was this thick in front of you, or you had enough knowledge of human anatomy that you were able to blow up those muscles while still being accurate. And I believe that it's the two of them at the same time, because keep in mind that uh, dissections were not widely spread out back in the days. I would even argue that they were fairly inexistent. And therefore, all of it came from experience, from visual experience, but also from the, the actual natural contact with physical models that actually were that size. It is my personal opinion that the statues we look at today actually walked the streets of ancient Greece back in those days. I wouldn't be surprised if the ancient Spartans resembled the statues, and they might even have been more muscular than that. Why? Because the average size of your regular man was much bigger back in the days. I'm not talking about the weight, I'm not talking about the height, I'm talking about the muscular development. If you pin 
a Spartan citizen against a normie of our modern day, they would get crushed, not only just mugged physically, but also crushed. And that Spartans, that's already the cream of the crop, but take anyone else, and I'm sure that the same result would have occurred. Why? Because back in the days, physical activity was the norm, and therefore their statues looked the part. And we'll see that those statues that inspire so much also inspired them because they worked as a sort of balise, a sort of, of, of marking, stipulating that this was the form that men should aspire to acquire and that anything below that was mediocrity and therefore not accepted. And we see that these very same standards have carried over, and that's insane, to believe and to understand that back in the days, some dude with a beard who made a statue managed to set in stone, quite literally, physical standards of aesthetics that would still be respected to this day. Because keep in mind that the entire aesthetic movement and the idea that we have of what a body made aesthetic is correlates directly to what they used to say. Because back in the days again, with their calculus, they stipulated that you needed your legs to be a certain size compared to your waist, that you needed a, a big upper body bigger than the legs, etc. And that's, that's a copy past of what we still do. If you think about an aesthetic body, what you envision in your mind is a Greek statue. And to me, this is not just a question of culture. It's not just that they figure out something that was pleasing and that we still to this day espouse. It's more than that. To me, what the Greeks have managed to find is a biological standard that is pleasing naturally. And what I mean by naturally is that if you took someone that was never exposed to the Greek heritage, they would still find that type of body attractive. Why? It feeds biological standards, both for male and women. For male, you see that form and it immediately clicks because you immediately associate that with the image of masculinity. And for women, they see that and they attribute that to a potential mate that is going to have a good DNA that they're going to be able also to pass down to their kids. And this crossovers, in my mind it does, in terms of evolution, it makes total sense that males would gravitate towards forms that females find attractive because males aim to reproduce and females aim to have children, offsprings that will be attractive enough to reproduce. So all of that is found within the Greek statue. And that's amazing. But that's just the start of what we have to say about the ancient wisdom. So that's already something to shoot for. We already know that if we, if we want to actually reach an ideal, well, that ideal has already been set for us. And it's that. It's the Greek proportions and the Greek standards. But you might tell me in, in retorcation that this standard and ideal might not apply to you. And in truth, you would be correct because it doesn't apply to me. This is not my ideal body. And yet I can still find some value in it. The good thing, as I said, is that it's not subjective, it's objective, meaning that it's going to apply across the board regardless of who you are. And that to me is proven also by the statue that is known by the name of the Farnese Hercules. If you've never seen that statue, it's pretty much the antithesis of what I just described, meaning that the guy has, th has thighs this big, they look like tree trunks, he has a massive back that is not a V-taper at all, he has a large waist, a very developed core, etc., etc. He's much more muscular than any of the other ideal Greek statues. And to me, this shows something. The Greek had an ideal form 
and they had declinations of it. So for them, there was the pure, mathematically correct proportions to be met, and then there was the rest. Because keep in mind that the very idea of the Greeks being wise in the sense that they were measured and always in moderation is a myth. The reason why Stoicism and so many of those doctrines originated from that time is because the Greeks were actually fiery people. They were very passionate and therefore they needed something to calm that down. It's the reason why their doctrines always went towards the sense of moderation and telling them to actually keep it down a little bit. And you see that in their art. But their art to me is not an expression of who they were. It's an expression of who they wished to be. And the Phanes Hercules is much closer to the actual representation of the Greek spirit. Because to me, this is what I want to look like. The Phanes Hercules is much closer to my ideal. And that is because if you look again at what the Greeks tried to create with their statues, you see two clear distinctions and two branches. You see the Apollonian physique and you see the Herculean physique. The Apollonian physique is the one I described with the perfect proportion that is a little bit smaller. Some people would even call it automode, even though it's more muscular than that. And that to me is the pure. It's the, it's the ideal. And then you have the Farnese Hercules, which represents the Herculean physique. In terms of proportions, this means a larger waist, thicker limbs, and more muscles in general. And some would say that one is aesthetics, the Apollonian, and one is strength, the Herculean. But to me, that's not true, meaning that as a bodybuilder, I push strength, strength aside. I don't care about that. Because the Herculean physique is still, at the end of the day, a physique. It's purely visual. And therefore, if you, again, want to create metaphors and allegories for those two physiques, one is control and moderation, and one is the, the exact opposite. And it's something that it's, it's tough to grasp. But if you read all of Stoicism, if you've listened to The Educated Barbarian, you might have started to wonder about one thing. If we are to be moderate in everything, if extremes are to be rejected, then isn't that directly in opposition to the idea of bodybuilding and trying to get bigger? Shouldn't we shoot for the Greek proportions, the Greek ideals, and then stop there? Because the calculus stipulates that once you get a certain measurement for the leg, in relation to the knee joint, you need to stop. Because if you go beyond, you are breaking the ideal proportion. And yet, the Farnese Hercules exists. What does that mean? It means that models and ideals exist to be broken. One is order and one is chaos. Chaos is the purest expression of Greek wisdom. Uh, this is not for me, by the way. If you read Nietzsche, you would have already understood that concept. For a people to seek order, there needs to exist fire and chaos within them. Because if they weren't, why would they need to organize themselves in a system that constricts that very passion? It wouldn't make any sense. So this is something I want to throw out there. It's, uh, in my opinion, very interesting. And it really is still to this day true. We still walk in that fashion. We still have an ideal of aesthetics and then what we actually do. And what we actually do is the subjective. It's your goal. And your goal, even though it doesn't actually align with the Greek ideals, is still perfectly valid. So go for it. I personally like the Herculean physique. If you like the Apollonian, that's good. Understand that even though we, we technically represent different values, and I'll explain that later, at the end of the day, we're still building the body because we are not statues. Number two, I want to talk about Milo of Croton. If you've never heard about Milo, uh, he was 
Some say Greek, some say that he just lived in the, in the area. He was a very famous wrestler and he's actually said to be one of the strongest men to have ever lived in the history of humanity. And his claim to fame was that to get stronger as a wrestler, he would carry a calf on his shoulders and he would go up a hill. And he did that every single day. So the calf would get bigger and bigger, heavier and heavier, and he would still carry it every day up that hill or uh, on a flat surface, I don't quite remember. But the important part was that he got bigger from that because he applied progressive overload. It's like he added weight every single day. And that is a very famous myth that all of lifters have, uh, have heard. I actually know a guy who has a Milo of Croton tattooed on his thigh. And this shows to me one thing. One, it shows to me that the Greeks already understood the concept of progressive overloads thousands of years in the past. But more importantly than that, that there was a physical standard and that because it was already so high, anything that deviated and became a myth had to be uh, supernatural. Meaning that if you look at us today, what would be a superhuman? A superhuman would be someone who can deadlift 400, 400 kilos. Most people would say that's superhuman. Look at what they did back then. The guy was carrying a calf on his shoulder that was thousands of pounds every single day. So if anything, even if that had actually never happened, it's interesting to see that the value and the, the potency of our myths has lowered. It's getting worse and worse. Why? Because our standards are getting low. When the average citizen looks like a wet noodle, you can't really expect our heroes to be too supernatural because if they were, you couldn't relate anymore. It's interesting to see that the Greeks apparently could relate to that. On top of that, it also shows one thing. I get that question a ton. I preach programming on this platform and on this channel, and I have rightfully people who ask, okay, you preach that and you say that's how you, get, you got your body, which is the case. Explain how bodybuilders in the past and the ancient Greeks, for example, managed to get such good bodies when they didn't understand programming. Well, see, that's the thing. They did understand programming, but they didn't actually verbalize it. You can understand a concept and never write a book about it. It still exists. You still apply it. I guarantee you that in the 1600s, there was a, 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 a woodman somewhere lost who just understood perfectly every concept that I apply to my training. He applied it to his. He was massive, but he never had a YouTube channel. He never actually wrote a book. So he just died with his knowledge. And yet he still had it. Why? Programming is nature. It comes from nature, just like with Milo of Croton, who applied progressive overload out of seemingly nowhere. But it's not out of nowhere, it's nature. Carrying a calf every single day that gets heavier makes you stronger. Why? Because the load you put on your shoulders every day is heavier, so the body has to adapt. Logically, it makes total sense. And every single concept of programming is the exact same. Every single one. You cannot find me a single concept I talk about on this channel that is not in nature. Why? Because we took it from there. I have never actually invented a concept. And in truth, no one ever has. People who have a claim to fame and say, I invented that program or that progression scheme, that's bullshit. It was in nature. You just took it from there. You cannot claim paternity for that thing. It was, yes, maybe never actually spoken about, but you are not the creator of that. The creator is somewhere else. Some would say God, some would say nature. And in that case, it is, in my opinion, disingenuous to claim that you actually came up with anything. No one comes up with anything because we are just transforming ideas that exist around us. 
So the Milo of Croton thing exemplifies that, in my opinion, while at the same time also showing the limitation of nature in a sense, because on paper, outside of the myth, what he did is impossible. And what he did is, is impossible for a simple reason. The, um, the amount of progression that he would have to go through to be able to actually carry a calf that grows at a, at a, at a staggering rate would widely exceed the ability of the body to adapt. And here, some people would tell me, and I don't really have a counter-argument, that maybe back then they were just that much more anabolic than we are. And if you look at the statues and the sorry sight of normies nowadays, males, you might be correct. Maybe it's possible that that guy actually was able to adapt that quickly. But for us, it's not possible. If you actually tried something like this, let's say you try to squat every day, you couldn't progressively overload every single day. There would be a plateau at some point or an injury. Why? Because the rate at which you damage the muscle fiber is not matched by the rate of recovery your body is, a, uh, your body is able to put on the table. And so you snap. He didn't snap. Why? Because most likely it was a myth, a legend. So it's, it's a balance that we have to establish. Yes, we get lifting wisdom from the ancients, but we also have to understand that we're not them and that even if we were them, most of what they preached was embellished. Number three, let's talk about Sisyphus. If you have never heard about Sisyphus before, he was the man who tried to cheat death and he got punished by the gods and sent to hell. And his punishment was to push a rock up a hill forever, ever and ever. First off, pretty badass, in my opinion. Secondly, not too bad of a punishment. The only thing bad about it, again, is that he doesn't get to recover. So that's the impossible aspect of it all. It's the fact that he never actually gets to let the muscle fiber repair. But you see again that all of these figures are always engaging in physical activity. Isn't that interesting? Can you cite me a genius, a hero, a model that our society or modern society espouses that fits the bill? Like a real person. I can think of a single one. We worship sportsmen and then we worship scientists, but there's no in between. We either worship idiots with muscles or people who are intelligent who look again like Greek yogurt because they have no muscle mass. Keep in mind that back in the days, it wasn't the case. If you look at the name Plato, a lot of people actually think that it wasn't his real name. It might have been a nickname because Plato means in ancient Greek, wide shoulders. And it's widely known that he was a beast. The guy was a monster. He's the type of guy that if you took him now and you plugged him somewhere with, like in an intellectual salon somewhere, people would look at him weird. Like, okay, are you a bodyguard? Are you security? No, he's Plato. He's more intelligent than all of you schmucks put together. And yet he's beastie, he's massive and muscular. Why? Because everyone was back then. And to a certain extent, of course, not everyone was a bodybuilder, but the average person was much more physically developed, especially the philosophers, because you were expected to have a certain physical standard if you were a thinking man. The idea that you need to sit on your ass 12 hours a day and specialize to the point that you become pure spirit didn't really exist back then. And I know that Stoicism sort of pushes that idea of the body being that mean and low thing that the spirit needs to separate itself from. But to me, it only really made sense back then because of what I explained at the start of the video. The fact that the Greeks were trying to separate themselves from their passion because there was too much of it. They needed to make sure that their energy and emotions didn't take over the brain. We don't have that problem. The average person, yes, is not in control of their emotion, but should really be focusing more 
on building passion rather than, re rather than repressing it. So to go back on the Plato thing, keep in mind, Plato was a beast. He most likely overpressed trees in his uh, pastime. So make sure that you train, make sure that you're physically active because just being intelligent doesn't cut it. So to go back to Sisyphus, I want to talk about the very reason why he was punished. It's interesting. He tried to cheat death. Why do you want to cheat death? Because you don't want to die, duh. But what is death in reality? It's the end of a natural thing, that is life. And to me, there is something deeper, something, an interpretation that explains the entire punishment in itself. Because to me, trying to ex escape death is trying to escape struggle. You're trying to extubate yourself from the cycle of life. You're trying to make yourself a superhuman the wrong way. And not, not a ubermensch, an above mensch. I don't know if someone comes up with a better term in the comments, let me know. You don't want to sublime your humanity. You're trying to just remove yourself from it. And as a punishment, he was made to work forever. Isn't that beautiful irony? He was made to do what we are born to do, which is struggle forever and ever because he tried to escape that condition. The gods have a sense of humor. And so he did. He worked forever, pushing that rock. Every time he would push it to the top, it would go back down. And then he would do it again and again. That's the idea of repetition. If, if uh, Milo of Croton exemplifies progressive overload, then this is reps. The repetition of efforts, what we are meant to do, actually, just to repeat. Because keep in mind that life is an endless return. You repeat everything. And beyond your death, even if you don't be, uh, actually believe in reincarnation, you will end up in a cycle of repetition at some point. It is all a big loop, in a sense. And so that was his plight. He was made to be the perfect human. He was the quintessential essence of humanity, pushing that rock up the hill. Goes down, he does it again. The downward movement of the rock could also exemplify the, down, the, the downfall of empires and nations. Humans do that all the time. We build a massive thing, then we crush it for a reason or another, and then we build it again, etc., etc. It's all like this. And to me, this is beautiful and also not something to be wary of. Meaning that, again, and I'm stealing that from, from Camus, uh, one might think that Sisyphus was actually happy. Because he was, given, uh, he was given a burden. He was given a duty, a responsibility. Men crave that. We crave responsibility. So the gods punished him, but they also gave him something to do. They gave, him, they gave a sense to his existence in truth. So those who want to cheat death are those who are deeply afraid that after death would come repetition that they would die and have to do it again. If you hate your life, you don't want to die because that might mean that you get to do it again. If you love your life, death is not that bad because worst case scenario, there's nothing after, after life or best case scenario, you do it again and you get to live again. He was made to live again. Every time he pushed the rock up, that was life. Downward, that's death. And then you do it again. We do that as well when we bodybuild. When we bodybuild, we replicate that cycle. You go up and down, up and down. Why? What is the point? Why do you go down and up on the squat? Well, to be able to go down again. It's, it's life. What we do in the gym is life. We're just finding a, a space in our existence when we get to do it in its purest expression because we're all, in a sense, Sisyphus. 
but no one has forced us to lift weight. We have decided to do it ourselves, which shows that Sisyphus wasn't really punished. He was shown the way. And that ends this or segment about that myth, because that is 100% a myth. We know that Sisyphus never actually existed, which shows also that the Greeks had a very good sense for parables, because they're the ones who came up with that. We find our solace in struggle, and of course, as Sisyphus uh, quickly found out, this is not actually doable. Please don't go push a rock up a hill and then do it again and again. Your recovery is not going to be able to follow. Let's finish up with someone that I'm particularly fond of and I was really obsessed with as a young boy, Hercules. And I'm not talking about the cartoon from Disney, I'm talking about, for some of you guys who might have watched it too, the, uh, the show, the, the, t the animated TV show where he was actually buff and big and he would kill people, there was blood. I was a big fan of that when I was a boy. I watched that tape a million times. What is Hercules? Hercules is the representation of the Greek hero, an actual figure, an archetype that made its way all throughout history because we didn't just copy their standards and their body proportions. We also copied what is inside. The essence of the hero is something that we still aspire to. It's the male power fantasy. The Greeks and some other civilizations before them, of course, created that very ideal. And this is what makes a man a man. The male power fantasy shows the way that we have to follow. Because Hercules rebelled against the gods. He was part god. And here I could go forever and on and on explaining why it's so important that he's a demigod. Because we're all demigods in a sense. That part of him that was divine was his potential. A potential for development that he had to go through struggle to actually express. You could tell me, well, Hercules was big and muscular from the start. You don't know that. Yes, he was born a demigod, but keep in mind he trained from a young age and then he struggled for the rest of his life. So how could you tell me that his genetics as a demigod is the reason he looked like this? Since the struggle took place and the activity actually occurred. You can't. That's Schrodinger's genetics, baby. So for Hercules, he rebelled against the gods, which also means he rebelled against fate. He rebelled against the idea that humans are just lowly little creatures that never actually get to evolve, to transcend anything. And that is not true. He also was facing unending challenges. And to me, that's what makes him the quintessential representation of man, of, of a male. He was hit with a constant barrage of chaos and he succeeded, and that's your life too. In a sense, you are a representation of Hercules on Earth. You are going through the same struggle. The question is, are you going to actually face them, or are you going to dodge and duck? If you dodge, you're never going to get stronger, because struggle is what makes us grow. And the people who have to go through the most struggle grow the most. It's not a punishment, it's not a curse, just like Sisyphus. Anything tough that you have to endure makes you tough. So embrace it. The second you embrace it and you start looking at it for what it is, a present, it's the reason why we call it the present, you're going to completely change your mindset and you'll find that all of the difficulties in your life, all of the complaining you do is going to vanish. If you want to learn more about that, because I'm sure you're interested, I suggest you read The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. He perfectly explains this. The hero with a thousand faces is the idea that any hero is interchangeable because they go through a similar journey, a journey that you go through as well because you are born human. 
And so I talk about Hercules here, but I could be talking about Jason. I could be talking about any of these power fantasy figures that had to struggle through a large period of time, face challenges, attacks from the gods, aka the gods, which really represents fate, and who came out victorious, but then had to face struggle again. Why? It's never ending. There will be no point in your life where you get to a certain level and you can just rest easy. That's not possible. And not only is it not possible, you don't want that. That's death. Not, not just physical death, metaphysical death. Because your life and existence, existence ends the day you stop accepting challenges. So be very wary of that. Be wary of apathy and of inactivity. We are in the state and the modern age we are nowadays because of our inactivity. You want to stay moving, you want to stay concurring. Concurring, concurring, I don't know. But that sacralization of the male power fantasy into archetypes is what we're dealing with today. And we need to just hang on to it because a lot of people are trying to take that away from us, telling us that it's toxic and that we don't need that anymore. No, we need that more than at any other time in history. Now is the time to call upon that lifting wisdom from the ancient Greeks because it is showing us the path. It is giving us male figures that show us that, yes, not only do we get to be that way, we need to be that way for the wood because it brings balance and strength, strength that is definitely needed nowadays. So reject all of the demoralization and embrace male power, male power fantasies. Male power fantasies are your heritage because those figures, those statues, those heroes that you follow in battle, they are your ancestors. Maybe not in direct line, but in terms of humanity, they are direct ancestors. So we actually need to look up to them and try and replicate them as much as we can in, in body and physique and in mindset, in spirit. Because they are more than just muscles, that's something that I want to end on. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I expressed that with Plateau already and I have a full video about that topic that is actually in the plans. But keep in mind that all of those male power fantasies that we look up to, like Hercules, they're not just big dumbasses with, with biceps, they're very intelligent. Look at Hercules, look at all of the tasks he, has, he had to go through that represent the struggles of life. He didn't solve many of them with just brawn. He used his brains. For the vast majority of them, he used his brains. He was facing the gods. The gods have an unending might that you cannot face. That's life. That's the essence of chaos. To bring order in your life, you cannot face it with pure power. You're going to be crushed. You need intelligence. But intelligence alone will not get you there. You also need the strength to have a solid base as a body to, one, keep the brain healthy and sane, and two, be a wolfy vessel. Okay, that's your vessel. You want it to be as powerful and beautiful as possible because, and I'll end on that, all of this, all of that wisdom from the Greeks, in reality amount to one thing, beauty, beauty in spirit and beauty in body, a beauty that also is very absent from our wood, be it via the now glorization of the fat body or the type of archetypes and art that is trying to pass down as actually beautiful nowadays, they're trying to replace standards of beauty by something that is the exact opposite. And that needs to be felt. It needs to be felt with all of the energy that you have in your heart. Because if you embrace it, you're going to embrace nihilism, you're going to embrace mediocrity. Always take the path of struggle. It's the path that the Greeks took and it's the path that we need to take as well. And I'm going to leave you with that. Thank you for watching. Have a good day.